0: How are you doing today? This is Ryan for The Scale Up Show. I have Alice Quilici on today, who is the CEO and founder of Umail. Previously had a $200 million exit, and what this man went through to get this company cooking is absolutely amazing. Started off, uh, pivoted multiple times, took about two and a half years to start to get traction, went from B 2 B to B B 2 C, Now he's back in B2C with B2B in there. Really unique business model. You are not gonna wanna miss this because he talks about grit, perseverance, and what it takes to be successful in a startup. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Alex Culici, who is the CEO of U-Mail. Uh, prior to that, he co-founded and sold Quack in 2000 to AOL for over $200 million, which was the Siri before Siri right now. Um, really excited to get into this with you with your B2C slash B2B solution. Alex, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, and if you if you can't see... Alex has a beautiful sunny background. I'm I'm in subarctic weather here in Chicago right now. I think it's like less than eight degrees. I walked. I went out to go for a walk today, and I have to be honest with you, it absolutely sucked. I literally went like one block, maybe two blocks around, and then it was so cold on my face. I had to hurry up and get back. But I digress. So Alex, let's um let's do a real quick rapid new rundown so everybody understands where you're at in the stage of the journey. So
1: where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? So we're over 10 and we figure we'll hit somewhere between 14 and 15 by the end of this year. Nice. Nice. Awesome. And then what's your primary revenue go-to-market strategy? So we're a little complicated. We have two businesses and there's a good reason for it. But one is a B2C call blocking business. The go-to-market there has really been sort of the traditional consumer playbook of how do you get consumers to download an app? You do... PR, you do social media, you do search engines, you buy ads, and you try to get word of mouth going. Very standard go-to-market playbook, right? And so that's been around for a while. It started as a voicemail business and evolved over time into call blocking. And so that's one thing. The second thing we have is a B2B business where we sell essentially managed services to carriers and enterprises that help them stop making bad calls. So the carriers don't want to have their customers originating illegal robocalls and the enterprises don't want imposters originating those calls. So we have a business to provide them services to basically monitor and shut that stuff down. The go to market there has been really interesting on the carrier side. It's been regulatory driven. So the regulators get really mad at carriers that put all sorts of robocalls out there and tell them they have to do something. Carriers get in trouble, we're the solution. On the enterprises, it's been challenging. It's been a very traditional, let's find one vertical, let's go find events, let's go find contacts, let's build a solution, uh, an interested set of people using our solution in the financial vertical and go from there. And so we've been pretty successful. We've gotten three out of the top 25 financial institutions in the country using us, almost by word of mouth from other financial institutions and then seeing what we can do. Nice, love that. And have you systemized the word of mouth at all or has it been inbound? We're, we're starting to. Uh, so we're starting to go to events and be able to present our solution to a group of people and then have folks who've used us there at the event go say, hey, yeah, you got to use these guys too. And so we want to systematize that and basically make sure wherever we go, one of our customers is gone. It's a little tricky in the financial space because they don't necessarily want everybody in the world to know that they've got an imposter problem and they had to hire someone to solve it. So that's kind of the the thing that puts a little bit of friction or dampening the word of mouth. But there are sort of safe space events that they go to and discuss solutions. And that's the perfect thing for us.
0: So could you and I love that, man. Can can you give me a real quick example of like a safe space event for financial services? I'm just curious because I've
1: Yeah. So they'll have a security event where the whole point of the security event is let's discuss the top problems that we're experiencing. Excuse me. So if I'm a bank, maybe it's account takeover attempts or it's SIM swapping or whatever else they want a place to go and talk about that. That's a safe space event. They're, they're very They only invite other banks and selected vendors that the banks work with who can you know be additive to the solution or security consultants who have something to offer. And so that's a space where everybody is sharing the problems. And so they can just talk fairly honestly about what's going on. OK, makes sense. Uh, and then let's talk about your team. How large is your team? So our team is 65, so we've grown pretty, pretty, to a pretty large amount. However, a lot of that is the B2C business. So the B2C business has free and premium services. Premium services need customer support. You need a team of customer support, right? You need a team of developers to build the apps. You need a team to operate it. So the vast majority, probably 55 of our team, is around the consumer side, and 10 people are on our nascent B2B business.
0: Okay. So then let's let's shift
1: a little bit. Are you bootstrapped or funded? So we're funded. We originally were funded as a company to try to disrupt the voicemail and communication market of the big carriers. So essentially bring cloud-based voicemail to the larger carriers. Turned out that it took us about three years to realize that that just wasn't gonna happen. And what happened was we raised a lot of money to do that. We ended up recapping the whole company because we had a million Blackberry users at the time that we hadn't even tried to get. They just found us as we were trying to go chase carriers. And so we transformed the company to be consumer oriented, then realized the feature they liked best on us wasn't voicemail, it was blocking calls. Transform again, and we raised more money then to go into the blocking business. So as a company, we've raised about $13 million in our history.
0: Okay, excellent.
1: Well, and it sounds
0: like you started to get in this a little bit, but if we're looking at this, like, how do you know when to pivot, what to pivot to, how do
1: you kind of approach that? So it's really interesting because I've had some tough lessons. Uh, In the first case, it was failure. We had said, we're going to sell the carriers. We know that takes a couple of years. We'd had some success on small carriers, but we couldn't jump to anything bigger than a tiny regional carrier. So no revenue, there's no meaningful revenue. The carriers weren't deploying the solution. They were just a giant pain. It wasn't working. And we kind of woke up and looked and said, but look on the consumer side, we've got 25,000 people a week downloading an app that we're not even pushing, that's been built part-time by somebody using our platform as a demo. So sometimes the pivot slaps you in the face, right? You're failing really hard at what you're trying to do. And there's something else that's just kind of sitting there waving at you going, hey, chase this. The second pivot was similar, too, except that one was data-driven. We looked at what our user base was doing. And so we found all these people playing out-of-service greetings. You know, when the call came in, they'd get an out-of-service greeting, say, do-do-do, your number's out-of-service, uh, you know, uh, and hanging up. They were using that to block people. They, and it was first, it went, you know, it's like, you know, block an ex-girlfriend or whatever. But we noticed the same numbers were getting blocked, like 800 numbers were getting blocked. And we realized they're using us as a call blocker. And that's the number one interesting use case we've got. Again, it's like getting slapped in the face. Let's go see what we can do with that. Um, And then finally, the, the most interesting one, is we said, we were collecting massive amounts of interesting data about scam calls. We should be able to do something with it. So we thought, hey, this would be a cool way to get a couple million a year that we could then go use to grow the consumer business faster. And so we put out a data API. People come to the API, send us a phone number. We'd say that number's a bad number, or a good number. And it turned out we got interesting people using that. And we had a limit that said, you could do a thousand numbers for free. Well, people would hit the limit and then contact us. And we were talking to them and they're like, oh no, I'm trying to keep my carrier clean. I, you know, I'm a carrier from a carrier. And we're trying to look at all these new customer phone numbers to see what they're doing. Are they good or bad? Or what are you guys thinking? Once again, you know, kind of slapped in the face. The real use case isn't Joe Blow trying to build a tiny little app and look up some numbers. It's these carriers. It's it's large enterprises trying to understand what's going on with their numbers. And so for us, pivoting has been a lot of data-driven stuff but really being open to somebody saying you're wrong. You're wrong to sell data through an API versus making it a service. You're wrong to focus on just voicemail versus blocking. You're wrong to focus on the carriers instead of consumers. And so a lot of it is being open to being told you're wrong. Wow, that's interesting. Because if I heard you right,
0: initially you were doing cloud-based voicemail, right? That was kind of like the idea so that you would handle that and then... And it's like, well, then you realize you had a million BlackBerry users that were uh, basically using your solution. And then you couldn't get the big companies to do that. So then people were using it on the consumer side as a blocker and for spam, which led you back to where you originally started. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Now we're selling to carriers but we're selling a different service. We're not trying to displace an existing legacy service like we were with voicemail. We're solving a problem where they're, they have customers on their network or other carriers sending them traffic that's illegal and can get them shut down, right? Where the FCC can come down to a carrier and say, you're not going to be able to stay in business if you keep making these calls. So now we found a pain point that really matters and there is no solution. We're not displacing anything. The whole reason they have a problem is they have no solution. And so that's the sweet spot. That's one of the big lessons is we really knew we could do a better job than they did on voicemail, right? At the time, it was exciting. We got a much better offering. We built it with a small team, but nobody cared, right? Nobody wanted to replace it. It was, it's good enough. It's a lot of work. You're going to actually get causes to lay off people. If we go in this direction, just not going to work. And now we kind of, like you said, kind of gone full circle but with a much more interesting product. The, the interesting thing, though, is we're selling to a different carrier, too. We're not selling to T-Mobile or AT&T or Verizon, right? They're, they aren't making tons of robocalls. We're selling to 5,000 wholesale VoIP providers that are out there who are the ones that a hospital will use to make robocalls or Citibank will use to make robocalls or the weather, you know, the weather alerts will use. So it's a different audience within that space. So it's a different audience, different product, different need that we came through kind of in a fairly circuitous way.
0: Okay, so you've been in business for 11, almost 12 years, correct? Right right around that? Yeah, over 12
1: years. How much yep.
0: time do you think, and I don't wanna say waste, cause maybe that comes off as bad, but how much time did you spend until you found the right solution? Um, how many years did you spend?
1: It was probably six years before, well, I guess it was about three years before we started realizing blocking mattered. Uh, five or six years before we could get that funded and another three years or so to start going down this, this space we're going through now. So it's taken some time. Okay, so almost like- And in some sense it could be the market just caught up to us, right? Like when we first realized we we're gonna block calls for consumers, I don't think anybody cared on the carrier enterprise side. And it's only in the last few years they care because there's been the trace out. So there's governmental pressure, uh, there's the FCC. There's a whole bunch of folks saying, you can't, you gotta care about this. So we've kind of waited for the market to catch up in some, some weird sense.
0: So, so basically you're saying it took you like seven, eight years to like figure it out. Was, was revenue just like stagnant at the time?
1: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So the first part of the company, the first two or three years was almost no revenue. It was really small because it was just let's sign a carrier. Let's get 50,000 bucks. Let's, let's do something simple. And carriers take a long time. So it's kind of OK. You expect a hockey stick. Uh, when we realized that wasn't going to work, we quickly threw together some premium services for the million consumer users and got to two million almost overnight. Like it was just really fast. It's like, wow. hey, guys, here's what we got. Enough people clicked on it. Then we were pretty stagnant for a while. Right. It was we, we also had some lawsuits. We had some other stuff that kind of slowed us down for a while till that all got cleaned up where the FCC said, no, you guys can't sue email, you mail. Know, go away. But it, it took a while. And then once we got going, I'd say it's been Five years, we've been growing 25%, 30% every year. And it starts off kind of small, but after the fifth 25 30% year, you're doing pretty well, right? You're two and a half times where you were and you're starting to get into an interesting eight-digit number.
0: So, and I agree with you on that. Like, once you start seeing that continuous growth, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> However, like, if you're looking at this and you go two to three years with basically zero revenue, what was that like emotionally to, to work through that period and just stay the course and, and try and make sure that you didn't, you didn't give up and you, you kept trudging forward?
1: You know, it's, it's really interesting because we weren't driving for revenue right away. We were driving for a customer, right? And there was a path that said, let's sign up some regional carriers. Let's sign up some small VoIP carriers and use that to get into the big guys, Right. And so, you know, you're not going to get anywhere for a while. But when you get that big contract, it's going to be massive. Right. So it's not so much when you have no revenue. That's the emotional heartache. It's when you go, I'm not going to get that big contract. And so then it's you go, oh, what am I going to do? And fortunately for us, it's, well, what assets do we have? What could we sell? What could we do here? It's like we have a million consumers, you know. Trying to acquire a million consumers, that's worth like 20 million bucks at 20 bucks a user, or 10 million bucks at 10 bucks a user. There we've got something, can we monetize that and get to break even? So we did the classic thing, if you run into a wall and you shrink and revenue comes up and now you're sort of break even. And it's really hard to grow when you're just break even because you can't fund anything, right? So you just exactly. have to be patient and try to make bets. And so that was probably the hardest part. Uh, And we did that for a couple of years. And then we got these uh, strange lawsuits because we had a feature where if you called our users, it would text you back with a link to their website or a link to their email address. And a bunch of people said, oh, no, you're violating the law. That's we're going to make a bunch of money from suing you. And so then we had to just basically freeze for three years because we couldn't do anything right without with these lawsuits hanging over our head. So it was kind of like, you know, run like crazy for two years, Sprint in six months to get to to a ledge. Sit on the ledge for three or four years. That was really hard. As we're on the ledge, hey, people are blocking calls. Let's do something. When we got all everything cleared up, it was like, okay, we can raise some money, and that's where it got exciting. Where revenue starts going two to four to six. You know that go, goes up at an interesting pace.
0: That's insane, man. That's a that's a wild journey uh, that you went through. <laughs> Now that you explain it kind of bit by bit in terms of like the stop starts and the the twists and the turns, and um yeah, I mean, you always hear stories where people go through challenges, but that that was it was pretty impressive,
1: you know, I think what allowed us to do it was my first company went from zero to two hundred million in eighteen months. And so it was a company where everything went right, right? It was just you know we got money fairly quickly. We had a cool product. We got a launch that got more funding. We got some d eight deals to enable some people with voice and AOL came along and boom, right. It was, it was a classic, like, so I think it's almost like this is paying for it. So the average sale is in eight years or something. Well, one was a year and a half. The next one will be a bit longer and it'll average out just like, like the odds say. That's crazy. So I guess like when, when you look at those two experiences, right, not
0: just where you're at now, but when you were at the previous company that went zero to 200 million in 18 months, like. How do you grow a company from zero to 200 million in 18 months?
1: Well, the revenue didn't grow to 200 million, the value of the company did. Uh, And it was in part because we were in the perfect sector. So back then everybody, the web was on computers, right? And desktops and laptops, Mm -hmm. and everybody talked about it moving to mobile. And so there were the first mobile web browsers and all that stuff. And we came along and a few other companies did too, where it said, let's just use voice. And we demonstrated what voice could do. And it's a really hard sell to build a large consumer audience in that space, unless you're Apple with a button on every phone that say, you know, says Siri, right? But what, we, what happened was the big guys all came and saw, hey, wait, we want voice to enable us. So we're AOL, if we could have a voice AOL by phone, people could call and listen to their email back then, which sounds crazy, but it was very big, right? People can use our movie phone property. You guys can actually get us to a huge section of people without waiting for smartphones to happen, which you know, ended up taking seven to 10 years later. So we were just, we just happened to be perfectly positioned at the time with just the technology people wanted. It's almost like how this time we were far ahead on the blocking side, Uh, there we just were just on the right part of the curve. Here we had to wait for everybody to catch up and realize, yeah, we need to block these calls.
0: Yeah, interesting. I guess like for you as a a multiple time founder, I guess, what would you say is your unique value that you kind of bring to the world
1: when it comes to building companies? I think a couple things. So for the first company, it was technology. And I had the right technological background to figure out how with the right team to build a really interesting product before everybody else could. So back then it was, you know, Building something like Siri would have been crazy. Nobody did done anything close. And we were able to, to have the right background to put something together that kind of showed a vision. I think with, with the current company, with Umail, I think as I've been through that experience, I know what it's like to try to acquire consumers and what you need. I know what it's like to try to put deals together to build something bigger. And I think my contribution there is the product experience and the vision, and then a sense of what's realistic and what's not. The other thing is I've learned what skills I don't have. So I'm not a sales guy at all, right? I can write pretty good marketing copy. I can do stuff. So I need to bring the salesperson in to make that happen. The guy who sold all the enterprise sales, the person uh, like our VP of carrier sales. She's fantastic and has been doing it for 10 years. I think I brought to the table, I know what I can't do. Okay. Or at least what I can't do better. Ideally, I believe in everybody I hire should be better at it than me for whatever job they're doing. And it's pretty easy for me to hire someone who's better at sales.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, there's a book on that called, uh, who, not, how, have you ever heard of that book at all from Dan? Yeah. Urban? Yeah. It's a, it's a great book. Uh, and it just, the way they frame it up of like, and then Dan Martell just wrote a book about it, like "Buying back your time. So there's, there's a big focus on it, especially with all the freelancers of just like literally parsing out pieces of what you need to do. Um, if you're in that frame, or just flat out hiring leaders to do that. So I guess, like, what would you say, like, is your exact framework for creating a vision? Because that was something you mentioned that you think you do really well. It's creating a vision.
1: So I actually, for me, it's it's kind of shows up in my head of where do I think things will be in three years or where do I want to be? So, for example, with our first company, with Quackets, the vision was actually I want to be able to do anything while I'm out and about that I could do when I'm home with a computer but I don't want to have to carry a device. I, I want to have, a, I, I've just got a normal old flip phone, right? I want to call and say what I want. And so everything else just came from that particular vision was just like, what can we do to build something that, that would enable that? Like, what are the things that people need to know most out and about? You could kind of think, well, yeah, but sure. In 10 years, smartphones are going to take over. That's 10 years. Right. And that was just a different way to execute the vision that cost, you know, billions of dollars in development. we were finding what could we do that's you know, more on the cheap. Right. Everybody's already got a phone. Everybody knows how to dial. Everybody knows how to talk. What can we do for to, to make that better for you, for the, the vision now it was actually we said if we're wildly successful, what would we want to have happen? And the answer is we'd want there to never be another call that somebody doesn't want right? And so that's, that's the goal, a, a spam-free phone. And that's the vision. It's a pretty simple one. It turns out the hard part is the next level, which is how do you make that happen? So one way is every consumer gets our blocking app on their smartphone, right? Yeah, you can imagine that as, as something you could do. It's probably easier to try to get partners and say, look, we don't care how we stop the calls whether we stop them at the, at, the, at the consumer's phone or we stop them from being made in the first place. And so then that became the, where everything else just fell from that vision. It's like, okay, we got to have the B2B, we got B2C, it all kind of came from there. And if we originally said, we'll sell data to others to do that, and then we realized now we can do the services ourselves. And so that's what we ended up doing. Okay. So a lot of it is just imagining the world. It's, my, my goal with a vision is you should be able to tell people at a cocktail party. Like, you know, think about Elon Musk, right? I want everybody to be able to drive an electric car. I want to go to Mars. Uh, I want you to be able to just think something and have it happen. Like every one of his things is one sentence. They're absolutely terrific, complicated, impossible to build things. But it's one very simple sentence. So that to me is you got to articulate your vision in a sentence.
0: Yeah, there's. I read about that um st- steve jobs and in the innovation secrets of steve jobs he talks about that or that it's talked about in that book too with how steve jobs you know would say like i think it was the original i ipad no it wasn't the ipad it was the um iphone ipod right? IPod, ipod right it was iPod, the original yeah. ipod and it was like two thousand songs in your pocket right like was i think his original kind of positioning for it which makes sense because everybody's walking around with cds and tapes and stuff like that at the time so the idea of 2000 of those in your pocket just sounds insane, but it's a good visual on it, you know?
1: And and I'm sure his vision was really every, every piece of music you want with you at all the time, all the time or something. And then it translates, well, we can't actually do that. So we can do 2000 (laughs) calls in your pocket. Right. (laughs) So I guess like,
0: I think one of the biggest things that, and I, I, by the way, I love that. I love, love kind of how you say is like, I think that's, that's awesome to have that visionary perspective where it's just like, okay, Everything went exactly the way I wanted, what would it look like? Right. What would it what would it be? What would the experience be? <clears throat> However, with when it comes to that vision, like one of the biggest challenges that I see with organizations is turning that vision into a reality from an execution perspective. So how do you approach that more tactically? And do you have any systems of thinking you leverage for that so that you basically manifest that vision into a real, real, you know, life outcome?
1: So one of the really interesting tactics to try to get the vision out there is you want to make sure everybody's singing from the same song sheet as to the big vision and as to their role in the vision. So for our company, every time we have an all hands meeting, it's email is protecting everyone from spam calls, right? That's just, that's how we open the meeting. And on the consumer side of the business, it's our apps need to block every call. That's what we're doing with with these. And then from there, you start going down to, well, how do you contribute to that? Do you get more people using the app? Do you make the app better at blocking spam calls? Do you collect data that we can use to block? Everybody's got a role that fits into that particular goal. B2B, it's the same thing. We want to make sure that every carrier is having us monitor them to be able to detect when they're doing bad things and let them stop it. We want every enterprise to have us monitoring their brand in the call and texts of the world so that we can shut those down. And we just always keep reminding everybody constantly, this is why we exist. And it's really hard because especially when you pivoted a lot, there's still, there's still people are going to think about, yeah, but wait, weren't we doing this Yeah, You know what? We got a bigger vision or it's changed, but this is what we're doing now. And this is your role in that. And it's good because then people can question like, well, I don't understand why I'm doing this. How does that fit in with the vision? Right. And yep. it's really a great test. Like, actually, you're building a product feature that doesn't. Why are we doing this? Let's stop. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good, man.
0: I like that. So we're almost up on time. One of the questions I'm curious at is right now you're on a roll, right? You've you've kind of figured out you've pivoted multiple times. You got you got investment backing. you got momentum. What's your biggest single biggest challenge in growing the business right now that you're running into?
1: So uh, again, we've got to build, we've got to add consumers, we've got to add carriers and enterprises. So with consumers, it's just always hard to build a consumer business, right? It just costs money and time. And it's trying to find the magic bullet that lowers your acquisition costs so you can scale faster. So that's the biggest challenge on the consumer side. Uh, On the other side, on the carrier enterprise side, the biggest challenge is as much as people have a problem, sometimes they look for ways not to solve it. So, for example, if 20% of the traffic on your network as a carrier is junk and someone comes along and can get rid of every last bit of that junk and make you in perfect compliance and you go, and there goes 20% of my revenue, that's a challenge. So it's finding the right balance to help carriers see that they have to do this and how they can use it to make more revenue over time. How their customers will pay an incremental fee to make sure that they're clean. And it's it's basically it's the right thing to do. And we're ahead of the game and carriers have to realize that they got to catch up. And so that's our biggest challenge there is, is for them to just go, hey, we have to do this. On the enterprise side, it's just getting word of mouth out, like so everybody knows you actually can stop the fake FedEx scams and you can stop the fake Hilton scams. That's all very easy to stop. You just have to work with us and we'll make it go away. Just just making people understand that's possible is actually a big leap. OK, yeah, I
0: love that, ma'am. Well, unfortunately, Alex, we're out of time. So where can people find you? Where
1: can they find out more about email? And then we'll wrap it up. So, email.com, and you can find all about the company. Uh, if you want to try our app, and I encourage people to do it because we have a free one. It's at the App Store or the Play Store. Just uh, look for email, y l u m a i l.
0: Alex, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. Well, thank you. It's been fu- it's been a fun journey. All right. Well, thank you, Alex, and then I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show.